Welcome, everybody. You are listening to No Coast Cinema here for WGM Plus, the WGM Plus Films podcast to be listening to at any given time if you want the best in what's going on in cinema, mainly here in Chicago, but also all over the world. I am one of two hosts. I am your one co-host, Tom Hush, joined with uh, Connor Cornelius. Hey, how's it going, Connor? Hey, Tom. How are you doing today? Super good. Super good. I'm so excited to finally be doing this. We've been working on this podcast for a little while and uh, really happy to be bringing you the very first episode. It's going to be a doozy. Um, let's talk a little bit about why we're doing this, Connor. Um, so uh, the, the goal of NoCo Cinema is uh, obviously to talk about uh, film as a global art, uh, however, bringing you uh, through your own ears a movie-going experience that you can hear uh, that is going to be obviously dealing with uh, cinema as a global art as well as uh, shining a light on the oft-unheard-of underground cinema scene in our own Chicago. Yeah, that's the. I think that's the best part of what we're doing. I mean, we're going to talk about the business of it. We're going to talk about things we're excited about, things we're watching, all that kind of stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be about uh, highlighting some really awesome people. Uh, so glad you could join us on this very first episode of No Coast Cinema. We actually have our first guest ready to go. Our, our guest for the episode, really. Um, we're going to be talking to him about his work a little bit later in our feature presentation segment. But for right now, uh, let's introduce writer, director, and co-founder of the Capra Movie House, Mr. Jake Wiseman. How are you doing, Jake? Hey, I'm good. How's it going, Tom? Very good. Connor. Hey. <laughs> We've been talking a little bit off off mic, so <laughs> listen, don't, don't look at me. Yeah, no. Uh, the, I, the, I prefer to <laughs> close my eyes and listen to really get the experience of what we're doing. Yeah. For, ironically, for a film's podcast, this is a purely auditory experience. 100%. 100%. I don't want people looking at me. No. I don't... Uh, yeah. Don't look at me either. It's okay. We are, Just beings, look- we are beings composed entirely of light, possessing no corporeal form. So don't even look. So don't look at me. Because you can't. That's Godard, right? It is. Clearly. <laughs> Um, all these obscure film references are just part of the magic of uh, what we're going to be doing on this podcast. But to just give you a sense of the structure, like Connor said, it's going to be modeled after a movie-going experience. Each segment is going to kind of pertain to a, a certain part of seeing a film. And so if we're at the beginning here, we're in the theater. Uh, I believe it's time for coming attraction. Set the scene. Yeah, set the scene. You're in the theater. You're sitting down. You've it's got, dark. It's super dark. Too dark. Almost. It's it's almost too dark. <laughs> like there should be like lights on the on the steps or something. But, but it's too dark. It's but too there dark. isn't. And flashing on the screen is a nice big green thing that says this. Follow the following preview has been approved for all audiences by the Motion Picture Association of America. A banner, if you will. A banner, of sorts. Um, often green. Often green. Sometimes red. Sometimes less times red in the theater. Yeah. A very few select times read, but uh, coming attractions. Already too Hollywood. Already. Already. <laughs> already. We're talking about green bands, it's already too Hollywood. 
<laughs> so with coming attractions, we're going to focus on the things that are coming up in the world of cinema, business-wise, maybe even artistically, um, just big topics, big news that we're looking at. Um, for this one, we're going to throw it over to Connor. He's got some news from CinemaCon, which is currently going on right now, or this in the past week? Uh, well, the news that uh, that we got from CinemaCon comes from uh, comes actually from Wednesday when uh, Warner Brothers uh, distribution executive and uh, head marketing uh, Susie Kroll, or rather Sue Kroll, debuted the uh, industry news that they're going to be uh, shopping a new way to bring new titles that are entering cinemas to be able to stream them from your you know from the comfort of your couch it's called day to date and what uh they released is that within a 10 to 45 day window you will be able to view new titles uh that that are just coming into theaters from your home which is unheard of pretty much because the typical window is what 90 days yeah typically it was the 90 day window that's been the standard for a long time is is that correct would you say it was warner brothers uh yeah sue kroll uh the worldwide marketing and distribution president okay because that's the thing like i don't tom and i were talking about this earlier like this isn't new like this kind of idea of day-to-day isn't new so i want to know what exactly what are they announcing like what's special is it just that it's warner brothers well it's obviously it's been in talks for a long time a lot of people have been critical about it uh i know that some people have specifically uh championed it for longer than others but what they released at uh at CinemaCon was the actual plans within, and they released a that it's going to be coming soon. You know, oh, so that, it's just option. we've just been talking about it for a decade, and now they're actually doing yeah. it. Right, right. And we're okay. talking like pri- we're talking price points. According to Variety.com, uh, we're looking at a price point of anywhere between twenty-five to fifty dollars for those day and date movies at home. Um, so you know, I would say getting a brand new Blu-ray. Say you know, really people don't buy DVDs that much, but. Um, Blu-ray DVD, you're paying somewhere between twenty to twenty-five dollars minimum to get that brand new. If you're not doing your research, yeah. If you're not doing your research, if you're not going on Amazon.com, if you're not waiting like, the amount of time that you should be waiting to buy a Blu-ray, right? Precisely. <laughs> but you're you're right. But when it does come new, out, so it's, it's like twenty twenty-five. Twenty twenty-five dollars. Bumping it up to fifty to get that really uh, early release. Uh, I don't know. Would you, Connor? Would you pay that price just to see? You know, say Kong Skull Island. That just it's it's still in theaters. It just left certain theaters. Right. It's still in theaters. Would you pay that much money just to say like, oh, I can watch this on my couch now in two weeks? Obviously, the uh, the whole point behind the pitch is that some people would be interested in it. I personally uh, have a lot of get a lot of enjoyment out of the movie going experience. I've always loved you know getting popcorn, walking in, buying your ticket. I love the the whole process of it. So I I personally would not pay five times the amount of money <laughs> that is required to Do to get that, that movie? big movie experience. Do you keep the movie? Yeah, th- I th- is this? I believe it's a. Um, Are you streaming this this for fifty bucks? Right. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. That's important to it's really like. I don't. I don't know. They had to have thought of that. You must keep the movie. Yeah, at that time, that's what they're looking at because it, they talked about this um, with a an amazing movie, a Ben Stiller movie, a few years ago called Tower Heist. This is the first Incredible. Brett Ratner's yeah. Brett uh, Ratner's magnum opus. It is an opus. That's one word for it. Um, 
But this was at the I time. Think they, I liked Tower Heist. You did? I think so. I don't. I saw it once and didn't hate it. I think well, you, there were plans to get it two weeks after it came out in theaters. That was their original plan, and that got scrapped because the studios and and specifically theaters, movie theaters, did not want that to happen. Yeah, because then because then movie theaters are losing out on that longevity that a film might have. I think the most important of, thing of all of that is that what you said about. They're not trying to capture everybody. They're trying to capture the impatient people that right. really want to get it. It seems like a cash grab, and like it's not gonna, it's not really sustainable. Other than that, they're just gonna have that niche of people that are willing to pay fifty bucks to watch Transformers the weekend that it opens. Even though all these movies that are coming out that are big budget that they're talking about are made for the big screen, and I don't know, it's. Uh, I, I, I think they sound old. They sound like old people right. to yeah. me. <laughs> as, as a writer, as a writer, director, as a filmmaker, how does that change in the model? Like, how do you feel about the current model? You know, if you were to get a film in that wide release format, would you want it to get to streaming quicker? This is the thing. This is you're opening up a big old home of worms. Worms, yeah. I mean. That model, it's dying anyway. I, you can ask me about it, and I just don't. It's not my. It's not where I'm at. It's not where sure. I am as an artist. I don't fit there. They don't want me. When they want me, I'll talk to you about it. It's not. I'm mm-hmm. not trying for it. Uh, it's. On the whole, you're not you're not even crazy with the current model, much less. I think that there are several different models, and people keep acting like there's one, and it yeah. bothers me right. because sure. people are ignoring the realities of what we're doing. Right, and people are very into playing the game. I'll talk about this a lot. Like they're into playing the game, playing filmmaker. Mm-hmm. They like you know what they think being a filmmaker is and so they don't think about practical stuff it's just like playing the game uh, because it's fun and you can call yourself a director or whatever Um, and that's the other thing is that people are really looking for the rewards of yesterday and people think that if they do this certain thing then it'll all go this certain way and if they make their movie independently, they can bring it to South by, and Judd Apatow will find them, mm. and they and and they'll be the next Lena Dunham, and everything will be, just be amazing, and they will have the rewards of ten years ago, and sure. no one's really kind of looking forward at as to what are the rewards of tomorrow, and that you know eras end. Right. That's a big thing for me. It's like an era to have an era, it must begin and it must end, and. People keep acting like like the way Coppola did it is at all viable today. And people do it, and there is like this room, but it's like any other art where it's like there's the established way of doing it, which you can either buy into, which is fine, because I know mm-hmm. people that do it, and they're fine, and they make money, and they're doing whatever, and it's great. And then there's the other way of doing it, which is figuring out how – you want to do it artistically and f- and really look at the the big picture of what's happening um and so yeah i'm 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 doing it i don't know yeah. i'm in it i'm i have i am the fringe your your <laughs> goal with cinema is not predicated on judd apatow related uh breaks no you yeah. know what it is my uh i want to 
raise some money so I can make a movie, so I can show the movie, so I can get an audience, so I can get their money, so I can make another movie, so I can show the movie. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a, I'm not sure if this is 100% appropriate, kind of like a grassroots approach to it, as opposed to just getting oh, it's that 100%. studio funding. Yeah, I think, no, because there is no, like, what's, what's studio funding? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's all, I mean, you're raising your own money, and we'll definitely, I want to continue that in for future sure. presentation, oh, because this is going to be... Oh, I, I can go and go and go and go. Good. <laughs> um, but just to speak about some numbers regarding this specific idea of um, early home release, at Variety, they there was a... Um, or no, I'm sorry, not Variety. This is this may still be Variety. Yep. The, the yeah, this is Variety. Reddit. It's <laughs> it's fake news. Um, but I mean, Bright they part film. They're live from alternative reality. <laughs> there was a the uh, red pill. They did some market research and they proposed those numbers of twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, and with the fifty dollars, you know, the question and this is the actual question they asked: Would you be willing to pay fifty dollars to see a movie in your home if you could see it on the same date it opened in theaters? Fifty dollars, and that would be day and date. You could go yep. to your local, you go to your AMC, or you could sit at home in your jammies and eat, you know, some burnt Act Two popcorn, um, and pay fifty dollars for a film. If you and, leave it in too long, yeah. If you leave, <laughs> seventy. You don't know what you're doing. Seventy-eight percent of people said no. That's too expensive. Okay. Five. There was five percent said yes, definitely. Right. Isn't that, that bizarre? What kind of person? I don't care they how much money. in their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and this comes from that uh, the Civic Science Survey, which was yes. presented in the Variety article by James Rainey, I assume, is Absolutely. the one you're referring to. Yeah, that's the one. It's, it is bizarre to me that you, you – what was the number that they said no? Uh, 78%, which sounds right to me that, like, I figured it would be, like, 90%. But, like, right. 78% well, of people said, no way, $50, I don't care – if I'm at home watching it, it's well, not going to happen. For various reasons, 95% did say no. But there was oh, the yeah. majority, like you said, that, that just said no for the pure financial reason of it. Yeah. Some that of them. F- yeah. So but 95, 95% of people just said no in uh, some form. Of 1,800 surveyed. Yeah. Yeah. They declined. Survey says. And so we're. No. no. So at CinemaCon, we're going to announce to move forward with this plan. Yeah. And I think obviously 5% people. of that crowd of. X number of people were is enough losing their are they producers losing they their exactly. minds hopefully Man, I really want to watch Ghostbusters in my house yeah I, I really mean, I just do not want to go to the theater <laughs> to check this out I, I don't know and you know it's it speaks to the question of it when we talked about this a little bit is you know is our theaters relevant anymore i i mean i think so Ooh, we have yeah <laughs> oh baby that's the other toma worms oh man because i mean th- i mean with the rise of netflix uh we we looked at an article where a lot of executives and this is in the wall street journal a lot of executives from big companies like 20th century fox paramount are running over to netflix or different streaming services because that's just where the growth is and that's from a pure business perspective i would say that they're not really that invested in the art of it necessarily is is streaming the best option artistically i don't think they're even interested the money's in streaming right now um not that cinema makes no money but it's not making as you said like 10 years ago money 20 years ago money even it's not doing that anymore so I guess well, my home question, distribution. Yeah, home distribution in any form. We could call it physical, but physical is going in interesting places. Um, as it does. 
as it always does. And uh, it's just, will theaters, should theaters stick around? Can theaters stick around? Because we see theaters like, say, the Music Box here in Chicago. It's a purely, pretty much purely revival or indie cinema, uh, you know, theater. And it seems to be doing pretty well for itself. They have their own production company producing films. So people want to go to the theater. But um, it was recently that Connor brought this up about uh, its connection to, like, vinyl, if you could speak about that, like going to the theater and also the resurgence of vinyl. Right. So when when listening to music in the 80s and 90s that – the CD revolution, right? It just seemed like, okay, we're going to take the the whole hassle that everybody is so sick of with vinyl where you have to pull it out of the sleeve and then pull it out of the inner sleeve and then dust it, put it down on the, you know, player and then put the thing down, put the needle on it, dust off the cartridge. All of those steps were basically they sought to just remove that process, right? And and now, obviously, with MP3 players and services like Spotify and Tidal and Apple Music, you can just plug your phone in and it's you get you know mil- access to millions of songs just from your iPhone. It seems to me that streaming uh, with Netflix and television is a lot like that now. It, it's you don't have to go uh, take your girlfriend in a car, walk by the the gift shop and the concessions line, and then go sit down and find your seat. That that whole process is sort of being ousted in favor of Netflix you know, and chill. Netflix and chill, right? <laughs> and it even sounds shorter than that than having to list off all of those things. You know, it's true. But we, but we do have the you know the recent resurgence of vinyl. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. Yeah. And, and going to you the have theaters. a record player? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. have a record player? Of course. I have a record player. Wow. And we like and I when we got our record player, I stopped watching a lot of TV and started listening to a lot of the same albums over and over and over again. And I mean, it's just growing. It's a cathartic um, experience. So maybe that's the not my. That's not me saying that I think that. Uh, movie theaters are are uh, like artists. as relevant as they could be. Right, right. Um, and you know, could we see a resurge in relevance though? Like where it becomes this sort of like special thing that you do? Because like when you listen, sit down and listen to a record, you know, in the seventies, that was just how you listen to music. Yeah, you couldn't get it any other way. You know, eight track was probably like five, six years away, and um, you just so it was a regular thing. But now it's this special ritual. And I find myself, even when I go to the movie theater, when I go to the music box or even like a bigger theater to see a movie, it feels like a special ritual. I'm making a point to go to the theater to watch this film. Is that going to be what keeps people going to theaters is saying, you know, I could watch this at home. I could pay this exorbitant price, but I'm going to go through the ritual of seeing a film presented in its, I guess, intended format. Yeah, that's part of it. I think we should not underestimate how badly we all want to watch a movie on a big screen oh no doubt and like no matter what people will say oh you know infinity war or whatever is coming up like oh you got to see that on the big screen dude i'm gotta stream that on camera quality yeah (laughs) (laughs) you gotta lime wire that man (laughs) for i do feel like for every person obviously that that mindset is not represented here but for all three of us that that do obviously value the movie going experience there's definitely people who care very little about the quality of the oh. content they're seeing 
And the experience. And the experience. I mean, we, <laughs> I don't know if I should out us, but yeah. we work at a movie theater. We do. We, yeah. And I won't say which Full one, disclosure. but people, you know, I, you, here's what I say. I thought it was specific to our movie theater because of whatever, but um, it's not specific. It is everywhere. It is at the most expensive arc light in the suburbs. It's everywhere. I spent so much money with my mom to go see, I think it was like Imitation Game. She came to visit mm-hmm. for the holidays, and we watched Benedict do his, his Benedict thing. thing. Do that, do that <laughs> cumber, busting out a cumberbatch. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> um, there were people just talking and kicking my seat the entire time. And, I, and it's just one of those things where people kind of go to the movies and they forget that it is a different experience, that you do have to be quiet. That being said, it speaks to the quality of the film. If the movie's really good, usually people will be quiet. You can hear a pin drop on opening night of a Marvel flick, yeah. but then later on in the run, when people who care less about it just want to see it because it's like the time to see it and they don't want to red box it, you know? Right. And the last movie I saw, I, I had a, not the last movie I saw, but just the most memorable movie going experience that I've had maybe ever was right after I saw Arrival in theaters sure. this winter. And we walked out of the movie theater and nobody said anything. And not just the people that I was with, everybody in the theater. And I was just wide eyed, mouth agape, <laughs> just looking behind me, looking at all of these people like I had just emerged from a fugue state or something. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just looking around and everybody's all wide eyed as well. And they're just like, what did I just watch? And then somebody, I, I'll never forget it, just burst out and was like, that movie was awesome. That movie was awesome. And, it, and everybody was laughing. There's a, the movie was awesome. It was. It awesome. surprised me. I didn't think it was going to be awesome, and it was. There's some aspect of that. There's just an emotional element to the movie going experience yeah. that people can latch onto. And it goes as old as thousands of years and wanting to see theater and stuff like yeah, that. Like it's it something that we're really we're into. Something Sally says, my co uh, the co founder of Capra Movie House, Sally Anderson, who's my producer and stars and all my stuff. Uh, Always says that we're, we've always been fascinated by like lights on a stage, yeah. And just people. It's it's something that we're into. So it does speak to the movie, uh, if it's good or not, whether to keep it. I do think like the movie palace, the multiplex probably will decrease, but there will still be there. Like there's movie palaces around. They just need to have a reason to be around. Like. I love some of these movie palaces, but it doesn't mean that they're the most comfortable or that the screens are the best or that the sound is the best. And it's more about that experience of going to feel what other like a different time, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's less about the technical kind of luxuries of it all. But, you know, the multiplex, the Googleplex is built for comfort. And it's just been evolving since the palace into, like, how can we keep people in the seats? Well, make them super. I just went to this place in Orlando. I don't know if it was an Arclight or an AMC or whatever, but they had motorized leather recliners. Yep. And, like, huge, like, just huge aisles. And and people were just talking and bouncing, well, just jumping like- around. It was It was reserved seating, so it doesn't matter what. It's, like, this weird... It's a weird thing I still can't make sense of. Well, I think we might have a a happy medium already exists in a sense with this idea of providing comfort but also paying respect to the movie-going experience. And though I have never personally been to one, I'm actually going to Austin next weekend. And I plan to visit the Alamo Draft House. Yes. Um, If you don't know what the Alamo Draft House is, it is a uh, company. They franchise theaters, but it's a company that does, you know, this 
comfort idea where they you literally have a tray table in front of you. You've got a little table in front of you. They bring you food. They bring you drinks. Like it's it's like a dining experience, but they are also very serious about the cinema side of it. Phones are not tolerated. As far as I know, they kick you out the first time they see your screen. They're just like, All right, you're out of here, pay your bill, you're out. But they have waiters and waitresses coming in and out. Exact yeah, as far as I know. Okay. Um or it might be that's the thing. I've never visited it. Yeah, you have give, to bring a report. I will bring a report from Austin. Forget South by Southwest. That already happened. Just this one theater <laughs> we're gonna do. Um and I wanna see what it's like because in theory, it seems awesome, and they they're like the music boxes in they do kind of they do indie films they do revival but they also dabble a little bit in those bigger films they had get out they had um you know I was pawing through their site a little bit they have bigger releases they're the um, ones that did the interview like when no one would release the interview right I believe so yeah yeah I'm still talking about it we're still <laughs> We're saying it's irrelevant. It. We're saying, it. <laughs> um, yeah, they're just maybe that's the happy medium is that we can do comfort, but it's got to come with some rules. I see that. I'll also raise you and say that we have to open up our ideas of uh, maybe that's the path for the movie theater, but as far as the movie show, we can open up our venues. And uh, I've done tons of independent screenings in yeah. Chicago uh, at a couple of bars, which there's certain kinds of sh- shows that you want to do at bars and certain yeah. kinds that you don't. And we have like kind of micro cinema spaces and um, just these independent kind of venues that I think captures the spirit of what we're all doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just on a micro micro scale. That's interesting. Yeah, that is so basically not thinking of the movie theater in its traditional way because so, we can move we can move things around. Yeah. And we can talk more about that in the feature because that's kind of what Capra is all based on right. is yeah. this idea of starting from conception and going all the way through to the end yeah. uh, and not having anyone else really be involved. It's all me and Sally. Yeah. Actually, on that note, let's break for some concessions here. Ooh, I want some popcorn. I want some popcorn. Some chocolate. <laughs> what like are you some... getting, Connor? Well, I, I just like to eat the butter. So. Oh, you just take the butter? Salt packets and butter, man. All right, salt packets we and butter. We have little cups. We can do that, right? <laughs> we have those extra oh, cups. Oh, yeah, sure. Do you want some extra cheese? I like to coat the bottom, yeah. 75 cents. 75 cents. Oh, well. No. All right. <laughs> break for concessions, and we're going to be back with some more NoCo Cinema mm. right after this. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to No Coast Cinema. I am your host, Tom Hush. Well, I should say co-host. I'm joined here with my co-host, Connor Cornelius. Hello, hello, hello. And <laughs> the best, the the best in the game at intros. Please. And uh, that catchphrase of his. Hello, hello, hello. It's sort of like a Matthew McConaughey thing. I don't know if you guys. Oh, I'm, are I, would, I was totally aware. Yeah. I'm like, I see you. I see you, 100. percent And of course, our guest for today is writer director and co-founder of the Capra Movie House, Jake Wiseman, and we are going to be talking to him about Capra Movie House and all his work as a writer and director here in our feature presentation. (laughs) 
All right, Jake. Uh, I guess we're just going to start here at the beginning with what? Uh, where are you from and what got you into film? Oh, my gosh. I am from Vermont. I'm from Burlington, Vermont. Oh, Sanders land. Yes, the jewel of the Northeast. The jewel. Is that I don't remember. No, it's not. So I named because that. the state itself looks sort of like it's a It's the jewel. Green Mountain State. It is... Uh, my favorite state. I mean, the thing about Burlington is that it's the biggest city in Vermont. It's beautiful. It's on a lake. It's a college town. It's very liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's two and a half hours, three and a half hours away from every other city. So in every direction, it's, you know, Montreal, two and a half hours mm-hmm. or three hours north. Boston's three hours south. Wherever. Who's going to Concord? I don't know who's going. I'm sure someone's going to Concord. Um, New Hampshire. Uh, so, yeah. So, if you want to do film, you kind of figure out how to do film because there isn't... I mean, there's a little scene. There's a very small little scene I could name on one hand, kind of the Vermont directors, you know. So was it more born than out of just uh, just an honest love for the craft? Yeah, I'm the, young, it? I'm the youngest of five. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my oldest sister is 13 years older than me and my parents work. And everyone raised me well. Like, it's not like anyone abandoned me, but I spent a lot of time watching movies, and we had a lot, a lot of movies. So it's just a lot. I can watch things over and over and over again. And then I got to a certain age where I could watch different kinds of movies, like when I was 12 or so, when I was started watching all the movies I wasn't supposed to be watching when you're 12. And uh, meaning, like, Kevin Smith stuff. Okay, and like okay. John Waters, not that other stuff you I saw your faces. Yeah. We, all, we all had that. We all had that. So I'm sure head. that was around the same time, but yeah. it doesn't matter. It was more important to watch Kevin Smith than uh, Debbie Does Dallas. Clearly. So, we're, what would you say were some of those um, formative films or formative directors, writers that really got you into this idea that I can maybe do this one day, or I at least want to try this? Um, well, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Jim Carrey and Adam Sandler. And so, I mean, that was a renaissance for them. Yeah. And I was eight years old when my siblings brought home like Billy Madison and my first PG-13 movie in the theater was Ace Ventura at the cheap seats when I was seven because my older sister probably didn't know what what was going on, you know, and I (laughs) was obsessed with Jim Carrey because Jim Carrey is perfect for a seven year old. And uh, even though I didn't know, I didn't get half the jokes until I was older, you know. Right. Um, But I had already seen the movie so many times that it's like my parents will just buy them, you know. Sure. We all need it. Uh, So... That was a big thing. And then, yeah, you know, when I saw Clerks. Clerks is a big deal. Yeah. Clerks and Reservoir Dogs and Fight Club and all those movies that every single person, every film kid my age went to college because of, like, those ten movies. Evil Dead, like Army of Darkness, yeah, you know? Sure. like it was it was a big deal in college for me to try and separate myself from those movies because everyone, I thought I was so unique in high school. Because I was the Kevin Smith kid that like knew all this stuff that was important when I was 16, <laughs> um, but wasn't that important ultimately. Uh, and then you go to college where everyone was that kid. Right. And that was hard. So that expanded. That made me kind of have to look elsewhere. But then it's like stuff like everyone else's movies, like Hook. Okay. Like yeah. everyone, you know, like all the movies that I grew up on watching over and over and over again. But the movies that I really watch, you know, Roxanne is like, I grew up on Roxanne and love Steve Martin and all the comedies and 
Disney movies and stuff like that. It's pretty. With I noticed a through line there with some of the movies you mentioned. You know, Kevin Smith specifically, Clerks. Uh, looking at Evil Dead. Um, Billy Madison. Billy. <laughs> but with, uh, in, <laughs> I know exactly what you're getting. At. <laughs> so with um, the masterpieces of our time, <laughs> with Clerks and Evil Dead, I mean that's Kevin Smith and Sam Raimi who are, I so well known for being these guys that kind of struck out on their own, yeah. and really kind of had this uncompromising vision of what they wanted to do. Clerks being filmed, you know, basically on location at Kevin Smith's day job. Yeah, and at night when they close down, they're filming for no money, shoestring budget. Uh, Sam Raimi is shooting out on location in these woods, and basically invent you know helps uh, popularize the idea of the camera as a character, just sure. for the sake of it would be cheap to do it. So all the best innovations come from not having any money. Yeah, and the same thing with Reservoir Dogs, a film that is set ostensibly in one location. Yeah. Because they're just like, well, we have no budget, so what are we going to do? What was the effect of that on your own ideas of filmmaking? Well, there were two things. Uh, one, I learned I had to learn how to write a script. Like, if you don't know how to write the movie, you're not really worth anything. No one's going to give you anything. And even if you think someone's, you know, for a long time I thought, oh, if I write a script, then everyone's just going to come to me. Right. But you have to start there. You can't, you know, you can make a movie without a script. I know plenty of people who do it and they do it well. Uh, as far as I go, I like writing my movies and I love writing. I love the actual, my joy is just screenwriting. I like to do that in my spare time because it's fun. Um, not, you, you know, there was a time I go through waves of wanting to do it for money or whatever, but it's at the end of the day, I just screenwrite because I really enjoy the art of screenwriting. Um, as opposed to novel writing or poetry or songwriting or whatever, because I can't do those other things. I can only really <laughs> write scripts. Um, and so that was a big thing was learning like, oh, if you learn how to write the story, um, y- you need to start there. And then it's it's really cliche, but it's at this point where I can't deny how much of an effect Kevin Smith had on me and how deep I got and that he was the most transparent filmmaker that I could get my hands on. There's a thing that Sally and I talk about all the time, which is really explaining in everybody's story, they're nothing. And then all of a sudden there's something all of a sudden they have like a budget. Like, even that movie Overnight, which is about um, the director of Boondock Saints, which if you haven't seen that movie, you need to see that movie because you, you watch him go insane. He's a <laughs> jerk. And, like, there's a reason why he doesn't have a career in that movie. Really illustrates, like, what happens. But yeah. even in that movie, he's just a bartender. And then the next thing you know, he has money for Boondock Saints, which is, like, a lot of money and decent actors. And, like, I don't know yeah. where where it all kind of came together. So... Even in movies where they're explaining how it's done, they never explain how it's done. And Kevin Smith was the one who was like, oh, this is how I did it. And that was huge. And the fact that he was like, oh, I never expected this to do anything. I just wanted to play it at the movie theater down the street. And it happened. Someone happened to see it in New York and it happened to just kind of go on its path. And his honesty... uh, because I do have a very much a love-hate relationship with him where I love a lot of things and then get really irritated at other things uh, about his path. But ultimately, he and I kind of meet in the middle. A lot of artists in any medium can point back to maybe a specific person or just something that happened that made them decide to pursue a career in that art. Would you say that it was 
Kevin Smith's just how uh, down to earth his filmmaking style is that got you interested in saying, oh, hey, maybe I can do this? Or was it just because of how forthcoming he was and said, hey, here are some of the tools that I used to create this product? That was the later on stuff. Okay. I always knew I was going to make movies uh, one way or the other. And I've been making movies since I was a little kid. We used to make uh, silent films. We used to film doing big slapsticky things and then mute the TV and turn on Fats Waller on the CD player and show the movies. <laughs> uh, me and my best friend Dave, my next door neighbor, and who's in Hollywood. But uh, we had been making movies. I have to. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I you I never know where it comes from because it was so long ago. My brother Noah mm. made a movie with his best friends called The Best Movie Ever, and it was inspired. Humble. And it was though. <laughs> it was was and is the best movie ever. I don't think I will ever make a movie that's better than that movie. I don't think I'll ever see a movie that's better than that movie. It's amazing and i hope he still has it on vhs because it's like he made it on camera with his buddies and it was inspired by evil dead and all this and it's just like him uh uh a maniac (laughs) (laughs) pat mcdonough him a maniac people understand either pat or sean no sean was the doctor pat wore like a a dress shirt backwards and it was a straight jacket <laughs> and his brother Sean comes up and he's like, Is everything going in your straight jacket? <laughs> he goes, Ugh. And then he kills the doctor and runs away. And it's about this killer just loose because I had woods in my <laughs> back of my house. And it, one by one, he kills all of his friends. And it's my favorite movie. So in middle school, when I started getting into Kevin Smith, and I was like, Hey, Noah, I think I want to remake the best movie ever. Um, A reboot. Yeah, I wanted to straight up do it. I never did it. I wrote a draft. I was like, I want to make this movie. I want to do my own best movie ever. And he's like, that's fine. You need to watch Evil Dead 2. You need to watch Army of Darkness. You need to watch all of my trauma movies. And so it was around middle school when I started watching those inappropriate films, Terror Firmer and uh, every Toxic Avenger movie. Yeah, Blood and Guts and... Gratuitous nudity and violence. And some of them... That also taught me... um, there's good movies and there's bad movies, but for me, uh, it's the difference between uh, entertaining and boring. Sure. And a bad movie, as long as it's entertaining, is a good movie. <laughs> when but if it's boring, I just hate it. Yeah. <laughs> when you're talking about doing the screenwriting, did you go to school for screenwriting? or? Um... Yeah, sort of. Oh, well, I went for um, directing and then because it's a film program with these concentrations. I went to Columbia and Chicago here. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you can choose your concentration. So some people are like, well, I definitely want to be a DP. So they go right. down that path. And I really wanted to write and I really wanted to direct. And so I kind of straddled both of them. And I didn't get as far as I could have gone with classes if I had just done one. But I really wanted to do both. So Yeah, you had to. Fu- you really wanted to do the whole package. Yeah. Which it seems like when you're, when you're out there trying to make a feature, you mentioned that you basically have to write yourself. You're, no one's going to just hand you a script and you're going to be able to just do a feature. You're, you got to write it yourself. You got to come up with your own ideas. Yeah. Is that what it's like here in Chicago? Is it just a bunch of people writing, directing their own stuff in hopes that they can get something out there? Um, that's my impression of it. It's Chicago's really interesting because more things get done here as far as independent production than I think like anywhere else if you do independent production in la they kind of look at you weird 
Now, did, like, did you, they don't really do that. You spent time out in L.A., correct? Very, very small amount Very small of time. time. What eight were you, months. What were you doing for eight months in L.A.? I did the semester in L.A. program from Columbia, uh, which was a writing program. And then I got an internship at De Bonaventura Pictures at Paramount. So I got mm-hmm. to hang out at Paramount and read scripts for a few months. And then I ran out of money and I had to go. <laughs> I wasn't feeling L.A. either. Yeah. Well, yeah what was the experience? Like. I learned more uh, about writing scripts from reading bad scripts. It was really awesome working at Paramount, and I like you know I would take a walk every day and just walk around. <laughs> they have like a huge um, outdoor set, like when they would do Die Hard or whatever. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know if they produced Die Hard, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you, you get know, the you, you get yeah. The and you'd see you know I saw the cast of Monk just hanging out, and you see Giovanni Rapisi just like hanging. learning lines. Yeah. And uh, who's the other? My favorite one was I was leaving. I didn't. I didn't do anything. I just couldn't. But I saw uh, he was talking to some dude just across the courtyard. It was J.J. Abrams. Really? And I was just staring him down because I couldn't believe. I was like, I'm pretty sure. And it was right outside his office because I knew where his office was because I'm a stalker like that. <laughs> and it's like, and he just kind of looked and went, "Hey," and waved. Sinister twist of the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I wasn't like staring him down, but I definitely figured out where the bad robot office was because there was oh, all yeah. sorts of. You know what kind of trick can we do? You need to do to get your script into J.J. Abrams' hands, mm-hmm. and that's part of going out there is like figuring out the ways to trick people into getting scripts into their hands. I guess right, I don't know. Right. It's not really my style. Yeah, when you were reading those scripts, what uh, what about reading those scripts really um, taught you more about the process? Other than like, oh, this is bad. Don't do this. I'd get so angry because I couldn't understand why these people had representation. There'd be like typos throughout their scripts, and like they weren't. A lo- I read a couple that were good, but the I don't know. Sometimes I felt like they were just giving me scripts that that had been read by interns over and over and over again to kind of be like, here, what's your what's your take on this? And, well, actually, this is kind of what we think about this. But I was too young to really understand that that's what they were doing. Um, For instance, like one person gave me a script and I read it. I was like, this is just garbage. I just hate it. It's romantic comedy, which actually I have to admit there's a moment. There's some stuff in that script that I still think about today. And I'm like, so obviously it wasn't that bad if I still like remember these moments from the script. Well, if it's Um, haunting you, then. (laughs) It doesn't haunt me. (laughs) It's You're really painting a portrait of me right now. <laughs> I guess they're my words, so <laughs> using my paint with your brush. Um, so, but then I would tell him how much I hated it, and the exec would be like, "Well, this is this just got bought, and this is the reason why." And it's going to make a hundred million dollars, or whatever. Like, it never got yeah. made, but that was the thing. There was the the other big one was I read this script. De Bonaventure is really into just like mercenary stories, like a lot of just kind of like bunch of soldiers come you know they like expendables yeah level they did transformers stuff. and um, okay, yeah. jack ryan doom uh oh, they have a wow. different side that's like 1408 uh mm. and just really at the time it was 2009 so it was just like the biggest movies it was transformers 2 and gi joe and i really was not into either of those movies it was also during the wga strike and that's a whole different story so um it was a script where it was like basically you know a bunch of soldiers have to get from point A to point B and I hated it and okay. it was like set in Thailand or something and they had to save someone so A to B 
And it was I like went, the first half of Predator before the actual Predator shows up. <laughs> and we, we did talk, I'll have to take your word We did have to talk about <laughs> earlier that he has never seen Predator. So this is a reference. If you've never seen Predator, the Predator's not in the first half of the movie, but it's just basically this generic mercenary movie that gets turned on its head. Which is great for half a movie. Sure. But I wasn't this movie the script felt like half a movie is eighty pages and it just like wouldn't stop. And so I went and I told the exec what I thought, he asked me what I thought, and he goes, well, that's interesting. Um, I was like, the thing is, I don't like the, there's no story, it's all just like specifics, like, oh, this is the kind of gun he has, this is the kind of tank he has, this is the real specifics of the artillery, and the story was garbage, and that's what I told him, and he's like, ah, see, that's exactly the reason why I like this movie, because I can get a screenwriter to come in and teach this writer story stuff. But I can't. Um, but those specifics are what really make him. Sure. And I was like, that's a real eye opener because it's not me, man. I don't agree with you on that one. But like, I like that you believe it. You know, what can I say? I mean, I mean, that seems really. It. it seems like such a backwards <laughs> way to approach writing a movie from from the executive's perspective, though. I mean, but I guess Kurt Vonnegut did maybe say it best when he's he said it would it, it would it's important that writing doesn't disappear up its own ass so to speak. <laughs> i believe that was the that was the line um sounds about right and we we just earlier obviously we discussed this off air but uh one of tom and i's favorite writers frank herbert was more a scientist than a writer mm-hmm. um and so maybe that is why the the executive values it is because this person has uh, a wealth of knowledge about uh, you know weaponry and knows how to make appropriate wefer- references to weaponry and therefore you know males eighteen to thirty five are going to be buying those tickets in droves. Hey man, yeah. they were making that money. Oh, I mean, for like sure. they each got a bottle of champagne the weekend. Uh, tra- <laughs> t- Transformers two oh, uh, wow. past a hundred. You know, it was. It was a really big deal, and I really respect what they do, and I don't want to make it seem like, because even if I don't like their movies necessarily, like they, I learned a lot there, and I really liked them, and it just, uh, it made me realize that our priorities were different. Yeah, and that, absolutely. It, you know, if I, to be a writer out in LA, you got to decide what your brand is, you got to decide what kind of movie genres you want to write. Okay, I'm a, rom- a romantic comedy writer. I'm going to just keep at this until uh, whatever, and I'll be an assistant, and then I'm an assistant, and I will meet everybody, and I will stay an assistant for 10 years while I meet everybody and network and network and network, and then finally enough people will read my scripts that they will like give me some money, and then yeah. I can do that forever. And that was a lot of stories that I heard. And when I was out there, everyone kept telling me to just be okay not being a writer or a director and be okay with whatever else you find yourself being an agent, a manager, a whatever, an exec. And um, I was like, I want to do two things, and that's write and direct. And just because I'm in a different you know, city doesn't mean that that changes anything. And I don't know from the independent scene out there. I know people that make pilots and they, everything is for the business, which I totally respect too. Um, Yeah. That's what makes an industry essentially. It was money before it was art, baby. And I'll say that until I'm dead. Cinema was money. It was born out of money and business and the art is a byproduct Mm -hmm. and that doesn't belittle the art in any means. But since it since Edison and since like all of them, all of them is all about money, and you know at least in America I'll say that as much. I think it was more artsy uh, 
elsewhere. So that process that you're describing, basically take what you can get, settle where you can, because that's the game in L.A., and that's the game that you're going to be playing. You moved back to Chicago, I assume? After? I went to Vermont to okay. cool my jets for a little bit. That's sure. where I wrote Scrapers, uh, my first movie, and started writing my next script. And then I was there for like 10, worked at a box factory, and stayed there for 10 months and, uh, and got enough money to come back to Chicago. Maybe thought outside of the box a little bit. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. this guy. Brutal. Oh, God. You should be on radio. <laughs> Brutal. Um <laughs> Popcorn. So you come with you, you mentioned your first feature scrapers 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 and d- you shot that here in Chicago I did one hundred percent so written in Vermont came here to Chicago what was the experience of getting that off the ground I mean you had the script you had the idea where did you go from there script was written January two thousand ten movie had its premiere or was completed August seventh two thousand sixteen. So, wow, a pretty big gap takes, of making this made. Yeah, and just kind of figuring out how, how to do it. And even just in that time, the evolution of how people are making movies, man, and how people are watching movies. And, you know, think about 10 years ago and what Netflix meant 10 years ago versus now. Right. And it, it, it's so it's been a lot of trying to figure, you know, are we going to shoot this movie on cell phones? Are we going to? Uh, try and get somebody to pay for us. Are we? Should we try and get an actual actor for this movie? Or so what not you, that my actors yeah. aren't actual actors. No, but, no. You know, like should we get Josh Peck <laughs> to try and be in this? Because he probably, you know, if we can raise that money, we could probably get Josh Peck. I think. <laughs> so what did you end up doing in terms of the financing? You know, Sally kind of secretly saved a, sh- a bunch of money. Yeah, and it was going to go towards uh, other stuff. And she had an epiphany or talked to a friend, I can't remember exactly, and basically sat me down and was like, so, I have this money, I'm going to buy all this equipment, and we're going to make scrapers. Wow. And I said, okay. Because it's not like I hadn't been, you know, we were talking about going to a Star Trek convention and <laughs> paying off certain bills, and it's like, you know. Let's do this. Let's make the movie that we keep talking about for five years or whatever. So, so with Scrapers, just give us a brief kind of synopsis of what the film is about. Scrapers is a micro-budget romantic comedy for stoners. Um, I It's a stoner comedy. I love stoner comedies. I love romantic comedies. The impetus... Is that the right word? The yeah, impetus? Yeah, uh-huh. uh, For this was... Stoner movies are very silly. We have friends, um, Audrey and Steven, that call them stoner capers, like a Cheech and Chong movie or Harold and Kumar, stoner capers. But I really wanted to see stoners like how I am, because me and Sally partake. And uh, it's... uh, You wanted to do, like I feel like, a realistic view of yeah. it's not it's not all running around in giant vans made of marijuana trying <laughs> as great as that sounds it's great um but yeah exactly it was more you know i got inspired as silly as it sounds like knocked up was a good one um but the thing about judd apatow is that he doesn't like weed so by the end of all of his movies he kind of figures out a reason to kind of like not be all... even like in pineapple express it's yeah. still kind of like oddly like by the end, kind of like maybe I should chill on the weed. Yeah, it's like, yeah. no, no one thinks that. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, but there's one shot in Funny People 
uh-huh. uh, that kind of blew my mind, actually. And I'll never forget the shot because it's at the beginning of a scene. They're all like walking uh, up in the hills in L.A. And Jason Schwartzman taps out a bowl. And yeah. puts it in his fanny pack, and then they talk about whatever the fuck they're doing, you know, whatever yeah. they talk about. And um, I was like, "That's so awesome!" Like at the time, it was so it casual, so silly. It was like, "Wow, they like really like that's how it is. That's how it is." Yeah, and it was really, it really kind of blew my mind. And now, since then, I think I don't watch Broad City, but I know they do a lot of weed stuff. And like, oh yeah, um, it's really with legalization like and stuff like that. It's totally sure. yeah, and that's great. But I, when I wrote this script, we were like, we better make this movie. Like, we better make this movie because I think a romantic stoner comedy might turn into, like, a thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know, so I better make it first. And there's elements of it, but nothing that quite uh, reaches, I think, what I what we do in Scrapers. And I'm, I'm into Scrapers every time I watch it. I'm like, oh, man, I'd like this movie. Yeah. If I didn't make it, I'd like this movie. What, when you were <laughs> filming it, what was, uh, what was it like filming your first feature? Uh, was it as you expected or was it totally different? It's a lot like I expected. Uh, I'm I'm glad I could focus up enough to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not that focused often. <laughs> so like to stay organized enough to make a film that's an hour and 40 minutes or whatever it is like that's uh, an accomplishment in of itself. Yeah. For, for me, for sure. Um, cause it's, it's not as hard to write scripts, but actually going through with the entire production, you know, there are moments that we were like, let's, let's go the extra mile and really make it as good as we can make it and really polish it up and make sure that we take the extra time to, to make it really shiny. Absolutely. And what was the distribution, uh, uh, cycle? Like if, if there was one, so you are the propriety or the co owner, right? Yeah. Co- yeah, co-founder. Founder, right, of Capra Movie House. Yes. And uh, would we be able to see Scrapers there? Let me tell you something. This is exclusive. You guys want exclusive? I, I would love exclusive. Yeah. If Give you guys me. email caprachicago at gmail.com and say you want to watch Scrapers, I can send you a streamable link with a password. I'll give you the password, and you can download the movie if you want and keep it. We are not doing a traditional distribution uh, for this movie, we want to keep all the rights and stuff. So right now, it's a locked Vimeo. Um, but I am super down with people watching it and sharing it with their friends. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, I don't... Scrapers was never about the money. It was more about getting people to watch it. We really want people to see it. Mm-hmm. And it's a sweet movie. I think it's pretty sweet. And you've got some... Uh, you've got a showing coming up with Cinema Obscura? Yeah, Cinema Obscura. Do you guys know Odd Obsession movies? Have of course. Have you ever... Obsession? I do not, know. Oh, Odds. this is perfect setup. Yes. Neophyte, please inform me. <laughs> Odd Obsession movies. Um, I don't know if there's other dudes or ladies uh, a part of it, but it's this... Cat John Davies, and it is an independent uh, video store in Wicker, off of Milwaukee. I've been there. Yeah, it's rad. Yeah, I walked in, I bought a movie, and the guy was I was walking out, he was just like, just take another one. I don't care. There you go. I got <laughs> I, mean, I got machete for free. Perfect. <laughs> I don't know what deals he's going on. He always he has this uh, like. Uh, his Instagram is a great feed if you want to follow that, and he deals like there's a link to uh, Ghana uh, movie posters, like these. Ga- I don't know, like Ghanaian. Ga- Ghanaian is that? Yeah, what Ghanaian. Is? Yeah, uh, movie posters with their hand painted versions of these bizarre art, and the movie store 
the movie store. The uh, rental house is like wonderful. I remember the first time I went there was in 2007 when I lived in Logan Square and I walked in. I rented Oh Lucky Man and I rented King of Hearts. And those are not easy movies to just rent. Yeah. Um, they're wonderful. And uh, Odd Obsession is rad. And so uh, they do a weekly screening series at Township. Right. I know Township. Yeah. Uh, in On California, 2200 North Cal- California. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's every Monday. And basically the dude puts an APB out on Facebook and says, hey, I'm showing movies. You send me stuff that's Chicago if you produced it or shot it or whatever. And then he'll show it. And if it's a short, he does short programs. And for our feature, he asked us to find a film that would pair nicely with it. So we're doing a double feature with a 1978 independent Chicago film called Stony Island, which is directed by Andrew Davis, who did The Fugitive and Holes and The Guardian. Wow. wow. And it's yeah. his Wait, first no, hold film. on. So you said The Fugitive, Holes. Yes. Like, you know, dig em, digging holes. Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. And the and Guardian. The gar- <laughs> yeah, with uh, what in- what, Ashton and... I'm yeah. really glad that there is a Shia tie-in here. That's <laughs> yeah. And important. the best part is that the movie is like set in the south side of Chicago, and it's just about like people you know, form a band, and they jam. Yeah. And they have a great time. It's super positive. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Super positive. That was the other thing, is like, we watch a lot of Jackie Brown, and Tom and I have talked about how we're going to be doing uh, hours and hours of talking about Tarantino. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, but not today. Uh, but Sally and I watch a lot of Jackie Brown, and part of that, uh, I remember watching the commentary, and Tarantino was like, I wanted to make a movie where you just felt like you were drinking with the characters. Just sit around having a drink. Mm-hmm. You know, pull up your screwdriver and just drink and listen to what they're saying. And Sally and I were like, that's what we're going to do with Scrapers. We want it to be light. I want it to be like Billy Madison. I'm obsessed with movies that you can just pop in and right. just watch over and over and over again. There's, there's not much conflict. There is conflict to keep it going, but not enough, like, to make it so it's so hard to watch. Like, sure. it's like much easier for me to watch attention. Grandma's Boy than it is for me to put in Magnolia, even though Magnolia is an objectively better film. Yeah. You know, like, it's – and I like Magnolia more, but – Ask me which one I've seen more. Yeah, yeah it's that's just true. easier to watch certain movies that airheads over and over and yeah. over again. You know, um, so yeah, it's uh, we wanted to make a movie where we felt hopefully the audience feels like they're part of the smoke circle, and okay. like we're just kind of passing the ball. Around. So, so is there a focus on more moments? Then the plot kind of goes easy, yeah. but there's a focus on moments that like, although maybe you're watching it in the background, you're doing something else, kind of like you mentioned, you've seen Grandma's Boy more than you've seen Magnolia. <laughs> uh, for a movie like that for me is uh, Dazed and Confused. Sure. Dazed and Confused, no discernible plot, really, just a series of smaller conflicts. So is that how you feel you approach Scrapers? Our stuff is a little more strung together than Linklater's stuff. Okay. He's, he's a little more confident in his loosey-goosiness, and I think That's for sure. uh, <laughs> I applaud him for it. I can't do it. I'm a little more structured. Our story, um, I love theme. I love theme, which he does too. Uh, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but his is more like theme as a web, and you can just kind of – and this Scrapers is more um, – it has a lot to do with like Chicago improv. Okay. You know, okay, yeah. And um, like specifics of kind of the people around you kind of suck and you're like supposed to be friends with these people and you're like kind of just okay with it. And then you actually meet somebody that you like. And that's basically what it's about is like in a world where kind of everyone around you, you don't really super like, you uh-huh. find the one person where you can kind of form that bubble 
and make it. So it's it's more it's a friendship kind of romantic comedy. So it sounds just like it's full of one of those. It's one of those movies that's full of those moments, those great moments when you're watching film where you feel as though that could be you on screen. Try. We try. And like, I mean, the script was written as a love letter to my girlfriend and it was like us, you know, but it's great to have Dakota Loesch as Hal and um, Sally as Mary. So those are the two leads. And there it's a, we're into quotable movies. We hope it's kind of quotable, you know, like that's, we like that kind of stuff. I don't know what the, we were just quoting Anchorman naturally earlier. (laughs) And it's like, what, you know, what movie is more, I'm not, I'm not comparing this to Anchorman uh, in terms of humor or quotability yeah. but uh but just it's as the far same as, like, idea i don't know what other movies you can like quote me you know civil war right now captain what Ca- hey, <laughs> hey, hey spider-man <laughs> i saw that movie that oh yeah empire uh, strikes back yeah i saw that movie once yeah i never saw i, I fell asleep during civil war I had a hard time with that movie. What? Okay, well, we're not going to... We're not, <laughs> not going to... That, that's another podcast, I think. I got to watch it again. I'll watch it again. But um, <laughs> just want to talk to you a little bit about Capra Movie House. What What is Capra Movie House? How did you and Sally come up with this idea? What do you, what do you see it as? Uh, Capra Movie House is a company that just tries to encapsulate everything from conception like i said before from conception to distribution and exhibition mm-hmm. um so it got started because i had a film series at chicago filmmakers and i got to show movies every friday and um sally and i needed a production company name for scrapers because we'd already been working on scrapers for a long time right and um it, we want to have a theater like we want to own a space that we, that is one of our goals as a theater an actual theater and so that's where that came from was like if we had a theater what would we call it capra movie house and we yeah and so after frank long. capra yeah because uh, he's american independent and uh and he made it's a wonderful life so dramatic yeah yeah and he made it's a wonderful life but it's he's wonderful and he makes kind of he makes story movies and great characters and every and it represents everybody that was his whole thing was just like making movies that are kind of, you know, they call them Capricorn, just corny, oh, yeah. you know, like, and uh, he's like, no, it's just, you know, he comes from silent films, comedy. Right. And so, yeah, it's like, we like him. What do you <laughs> see as the, so the future ultimately being you want to have a space that would function. We talked about the, you know, kind of. Uh, breaking down, deconstructing our idea of what going to the movies means, at least in terms of location. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Like, get a space that would not traditionally be a theater and yeah. then turn it into that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, basically, I'm, it's been a constant thing. It's a big thing of Sally's um, to just try and find a space so that we can show actual independent films. Um, I mean, that's a... That's a I, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of all in there, you know. Yeah, it's, it, and whatever else kind of multi-purpose space that we can do with that. But that's where that came from. And then we threw that. It's kind of a umbrella name. I don't know if we're going to come up with different names for different things as we get more official you right. know, along the way. But we're a production company, so we make our own stuff. Um, we write our own stuff. We exhibit our own stuff where, you know, we make... We talk to the people who run the the venues and stuff like that and and curate our own shows with trailers and intermissions and stuff like that and um really try and make like a memorable show and each one's kind of a little different than the last one and uh and then 
distributions is a is a experiment that we're working on right now. Um, we're really we haven't done anything with it yet. This is kind of telling everybody about scrapers yeah. and emailing and requesting is kind of as far as we've gotten, and I'm super excited about that because I think after the next show, which is on Monday, April 10th, Monday April at 10th. Township, uh, we may be doing a window of just letting it be like having people watch it, which is yeah. send it out. Like I'm ready for people to watch scrapers and it's about four twenty time. So <laughs> it's that time of year, which is again. when we premiered last year. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jake, yeah. for, uh, for sharing all that with us. Where can people find more about Capra movie house and, uh, this upcoming screening with odd obsession movies, please YouTube Capra movie house. There's all sorts of fun stuff on our YouTube channel, but also there's CapraChicago.tumblr, which is fun. Um, Instagram, I'm Weissman pictures, W E I S M A N pictures. That's a lot of fun. Sally's on Twitter, lady Swedgen. Uh, S-W-E-G-E-N, I think. Uh, Lady Swedgen. Just look up Sally Anderson. Um, and Facebook. Man, social Capra media movie. is wonderful. Just look up Capra Movie House on the Google, and something will pop something up, I'm sure. And also, yeah, follow out Obsession, because that dude's always posting stuff about all of these shows. And if you want to know, I mean, a lot of Chicago filmmakers are coming in and uh, showing their stuff with them, because it's so easy he's so accessible and that's what we need awesome so thank you again so much jake if you're willing to stick around we're gonna do our after credits i wasn't going to but i guess i will i guess i have to (laughs) all right so we're gonna stop for some concessions again one last Mm. trip to the concession stand what are you getting this time connor uh well i i'm I'm full up on butter so i think i might just have a a root beer of some sort a root beer a root beer yeah that's delicious i want some gummies but i want some of those special gummies Oh, uh, that, yeah. That you import. Oh, my gosh. Import. Not very Domestic, far. I don't import them very far, let me tell you. No. <laughs> <laughs> More with NoCo Cinema, myself, Tom Hush, Connor Cornelius, my co-host, and Jake Wiseman coming up next. Uh, stick around. All right, everybody, you are back here in the WGN Plus studios, Studio B to be specific, uh, and you are listening to No Coast Cinema. I am your co-host, Tom Hush, and I'm joined with my other co-host, Connor Cornelius. Hello. We're gonna still keep, working on that Still intro. working on the intro. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> and then, of course, our guest who has been with us the whole show. I'm so excited to have him, writer, director, and co-founder of the Capper Movie House, Jake Wiseman, thank you so much again, Jake, for joining us. We've been having a great time. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> thank you, Connor. You are very welcome. So much better than mine. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I stole it. That's not mine. <laughs> All right. So now it's time for uh, it's the point in the program. If we're structuring this like if we're keeping with the internal consistency of our plan here. Um, if we are. If we are. I'd like to. We're looking at this as uh, the idea of watching a film. So the feature presentation we had, Jake. And now we're going to move into the after credits sequence. 
So here in After Credits, it's going to be a little bit of a miscellany every time, every episode. Uh, we're going to be doing little things here and there, little features that we think are fun or things that we're excited about. So uh, this time, we're just going to be talking about basically things that we've watched recently over the last maybe couple weeks and things that we are excited for in the future of film, whether it's in theaters or streaming or what have you. Um, we're going to talk about what we are psyched about right now. Jake, since you are the guest, I'm going to let you start off first. What have you been watching? I have been watching old uh, black and white westerns, and I've been watching a lot of recent Nicolas Cage films that are on uh, Netflix. Now, when you say recent, oh, oh, I'm talking about... You're talking USS Indianapolis. I just watched USS Indianapolis. (laughs) Me too. Uh, I have to... I'm going on record as saying I love current... Nicholas Cage. Oh, I yeah. love old man Cage with his look and everything he's doing. I think he's a hustler. He works really hard and any fault of his performance is not his. It is of the filmmaker. Well, so I got to ask though with the and Connor, I know you are a, you're a Cage head. You're, you know, I'm bursting at the seams. <laughs> yeah, dude, you are ready to get into the cage here. You enter the cage. Enter the cage. That's the uh are we doing an episode of Enter the Cage? No. The cage. <laughs> that's the. Uh, I think that's the bit that Andy Samberg does on SNL when he dresses up as Nicolas oh, Cage. Really? He calls it Enter the Cage. Oh, that's funny. Um, so with you mentioned that it's not really his fault, but the directors. I gotta ask though, like he's taking these absurd roles. Yeah. Like he's he's he did one with um, Willem Dafoe recently. Oh, with that's the, bad. The guy who oh, wrote Doggy Dog. Yeah, Doggy Paul Schrader. D- didn't Paul Schrader, Paul Schrader wrote? And he's in it too. He's terrible. Paul Schrader's in it. Yeah, because you watch that movie and you see Paul Schrader. I'm like, that's Paul Schrader in this movie. He's never been anything. Who could he not get? to be in this movie and then you find out that he like tried to get De Niro or whoever and, and he's like I'm, I was finished with you after did he do Raging Bull Connor do you know he wrote, he wrote, he wrote Raging Bull he wrote Bull. Raging Bull Paul Schrader I'm not into that dude oh you don't oh he did Taxi Driver yeah but the good stuff in Taxi Driver isn't him he just I mean the story is him the sick stuff is him and the plot is him and then Everything Scorsese's else. like Artistic mind, I think, took over. Maybe I'm okay. being biased. Um, no, that's fine. I have to say. opinions about Paul Schrader. I think a guy who's like, I don't think it's that cool to be like hanging out in your underwear, going to porn theaters in the '70s, like holding guns to your head, you know, writing a script about the exact same thing. Like he was living what he was he doing. Was living I don't Travis think Bill. that's sure. very cool. Maybe when I was so, 18, I was like, man, that's real badass. So realistic. Like, that dude's scary. I don't want to mess with Travis Bickle. So realistically, <laughs> though, Paul Schrader is the perfect person to pair with Nicolas Cage, an unhinged artist. This is one of the movies that got me to start watching Nicolas Cage's new stuff because he's really working. And the script is trash. And it's really one of those things where it's like, learn how to write a good script because that's where it starts. And you can't write a trash script and have a movie be good unless you throw out the trash script, I think. And okay. um, like The Hangover. <laughs> <laughs> I read the script of The Hangover and that I do not like that script. And then the movie's fine. I mean, I have whatever opinion about it, but it's definitely was rewritten by funnier mm-hmm. people. Um, Connor, do you have some <laughs> thoughts on USS... Indianapolis. You, you Honestly, did, you did watch this movie. I watched it a week ago. Okay, because I have so many. Uh, we could do an entire hour on this movie, yeah. but we won't. 
we could have a whole entire uh, alternate universe podcast dedicated <laughs> to it. But I thought USS Indianapolis was one of the best movies that he's done in in the last like ten years, maybe. I was telling people that I felt, even though it's completely, I don't know who produced it. If it's it is a foreign, not good. Yeah. It's not great. Well, um, it's Mar- it's, it's Mario Van Peebles, who's a legit director, who's really good, who's done a lot of stuff, um, and the cast is Nicolas Cage, Tom Sizemore, and um, Thomas Jane doing his impression of Val Kilmer in Spoils of Babylon, which is really, really weird, because um, Val Kilmer is basically doing a, is doing a parody, and I feel like Thomas Jane is doing that exact character. But um, it felt like a, a foreign film. Like, it felt like a, somewhere between a South Korean and a North Korean film, where that there was this great scale to it, and they had a lot of men... But the effects were not up to par, but they weren't bad. But you can't s- listen. What, what is a North Korean film? What's a North Korean film? Yeah, other that's, than- the, that's our other podcast called the Juche. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, there's a movie everyone should. <laughs> I just found out about this movie. Oh, I can't remember the title of it, but it's North Korean's ty- uh, Titanic. Watch a movie called The Lover and the Despot. Um, it's a documentary that's on. Netflix right now about a South Korean filmmaking couple. It was a filmmaker, a director, and his actress wife that got kidnapped by Kim Jong-il in the 70s and was forced to make movies for him. That's amazing. Because Kim Jong-il was obsessed with movies and didn't understand why his movies weren't as good as the American ones that he was watching, but he hates America. So he brought in a filmmaker that he really respected and an actress that he loved and forced them. And it's this whole story of like... We're trapped in prisoners. We also have all the money that we could ever want to make whatever movie we absolutely want to make. And so it's a fascinating movie. And then they ended up, you know, spoiler alert, uh, they don't stay in North Korea. Um, yeah. But uh, after that, he was like, I want a, a Titanic. I want our Titanic. There should be a movie called, you know, like it's North Korean Titanic. Hopefully there'll be like some, if you Google North Korean Titanic, this movie will come up like every, everything's promises or promises broken or some sort of title like that. And it's fascinating because the effects are the same kind of like fake USS Indianapolis. Like it looks really bad, but I'm not. It's that foreign thing. Like, watch the host. The host yeah. is amazing. You can you can sit there and laugh and and complain about the effects of the host, but it it is for a reason. It's all for a reason. I'd rather get angry at Civil War for doing sure. the exact same thing. Like, I think Civil War's effects are far more abhorrent and appalling than USS Indianapolis because of the context of the release and the movie and the money that's involved. That is a hot take. Okay, I will I will defend. At, at least until I'm done with this podcast, I will I'll defend, defend that. I just that remember concept. I remember watching USS Indianapolis, and I was like, "Wow, they're doing these backstories." It almost reminds me a little bit of Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, these backstories into the soldiers' lives, and then I'm like, "Okay, Nicholas Cage is being absurdly tame." Yep, up <laughs> very until, held back. Yeah, very held back. He doesn't really do a lot of overacting in the movie, and then I'm just like, "Okay, where does this movie get off the rails?" And then you see the torpedoes go out. And I'm like, okay, there it is. There's oh, the, the man, the there's man the, torpedoes. There's this, yeah. The what do they call them? The 
Krakens, Cretans, Cretans, the Titans, Titans, yeah, the Titans, Kamikaze torpedoes. Jesus, in is that that happened? Yeah, apparently it was based on a true story. I didn't. I mean, I, I knew didn't that the, look up if it was you know. I knew the ship. I know that story, but I mm-hmm. I had never heard of a chitin before. It makes sense, but I'm also is, like, that's horrifying. Is yes. the USS Indianapolis the one with the sharks in the yes. water? Yes. So wait, this is like it's a great uh, movie. Like from I Jaws, it was a great movie. That's that's what. Uh, Robert Shaw yeah, yeah, was talking exactly. about yeah. in Jaws. Wow. Yeah. So this is more or less a prequel to Jaws. Well, it's one of the... <laughs> it takes place in the same that's universe. A stronger, that's a stronger thing to say than what I just said about Civil hot War. Hot takes. Yeah, hot, <laughs> hot takes. takes. Hey, guys. Episode of Hot Takes. Welcome to Hot Takes. Um, I... The overacting of Nick Cage is honestly nowhere to be found in that movie, though. It's no, sucked it's away. Respectful. It's sucked away by the, uh, the guy that, like... Tom Sizemore? clutches to his leg yeah, the whole Tom time. Sizemore. Okay, that's yeah. yeah, that's who it is. Yeah, I mean, he's he's pretty I'm drugged out still anyway. Put him in yeah, or, you know whatever. That's but true. I did love seeing him clutch his leg uh, like a teddy bear. <laughs> oh, uh, 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 I mean, the faces movie, that he would make. It's are just one of those things make like, me laugh. So I can't far. complain about the movie. It felt like it's. I can give kind of the same. And this is another hot topic. Like I love Tyler Perry, and I can defend Tyler Perry until I'm dead. And will defend Tyler Perry till I'm dead, even if I don't like all the movies. It's the same kind of feel where it's like it's earnest and it's respectful. And they're doing if he if Mario Van Peebles had Melvin Melvin, that's his dad. If he had Marvel money, okay, yeah, then he that movie would have looked great. Yeah, and he just didn't have the money, mm-hmm. so he did the best that he could. And I think you know, there's definitely like the first half hour, I was definitely like, "Oh man, this is some serious exposition." And then another spoiler alert: you think the movie's over? There's another half hour. I <laughs> yeah. definitely slept through that. I, I full full awareness. I did not watch the last twenty minutes of the movie. Yeah, me either. Um, because it was rousing, and I'm sure I know what happens or whatever. Right. But um, I like I like those kinds of movies. I like you know. I've been Some talking catch. about this movie way yeah, too long. No. That's uh, all right. But uh, I, I like, like that catch. someone else watched it because it's not, <laughs> yeah. it, but it's, it's kitschy, but it's not because like I said, it's respectful. They're not just trying to make them like maybe the producers. It's not Sharknado, make, but. No, it's like, like, like Connor said, like it's Nick Cage doesn't go over the top. Like he's really trying to do the captain of this ship. It's, it, these are real people. This is 900 people that actually died or 700 people that actually got killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like insane. And they're, this is the movie and they're doing the best they can, even though they don't have any money. So I respect the earnestness of it, even if it's corny with the, the blind dude and sure. all that, you know, yeah. like, you know, it's going in that direction, but I can defend it. I can defend USS Indianapolis way more than I can defend, um, dog eat dog, which has that scene where, Nicolas Cage and Willem Dafoe and that other dude all get drunk in a hotel room and do uh, smoke weed and like drop acid and drink absinthe or whatever. Yeah. It's all like crazy overlapping and mm-hmm, colors yeah. and oh, they're so drugged down. It's like edited to be this crazy party. And then like when you kind of remove yourself and think about what's actually happening without the editing. Uh-huh. It's just three 50-year-old men without shirts, like, getting really, really drunk in, in a hotel room. And you're like, there's nothing okay about – that movie – I wanted to start writing movie reviews. I used to write movie reviews in Vermont for the Burlington Free Press, and I wanted to start writing them again for Dog Eat Dog because I was so, like, what – Horrified. Why is yeah. this movie? Just why is this movie? All the right. only thing I can – do I, the only okay thing I'm okay with is Nicolas Cage because he's an actor. Yeah. The man's an actor. And 
to that, just one last thing I have to say. Yes. Squeeze it in. These movies started making a lot. He started making a lot of bad character choices. The second he got fleeced and lost all of his money, yep. And they took all of his money, and the man said, "You know what? It's not even about being relevant anymore. It's about keeping my f- money yep. and being yeah. comfortable in the lifestyle that I want to be comfortable in." And I do see in every single one. Like I hate Bangkok Dangerous. I think he's really, really bad in it. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't emote at all. Those directors told him not to emote. Yeah. And I can I will not blame Nicolas Cage. He he will go as much or as little. And I uh, there was an interview with Michael Rappaport that blew my mind when I was uh, in high school because he was like, I know when I'm in a bad movie. <laughs> like yeah. you think I don't know? Like I know. <laughs> and these actors, uh, Nicole Kidman was at the Oscars being like, you know, sometimes you you put your trust into people, and sometimes they're great, and sometimes they're not. And all you can do is do the performance that the situation that you're in, and like. These people are just reading a script in a scene being told what to do. And that's why Ben Affleck, who's also on my list of people that I like like as an actor and don't have any problem with Ben Affleck, had to start directing because they kept they kept telling him he was a bad actor. And it's like, he's not a bad actor. No. They just He was in bad movies. He's, and I don't think that dynamic is seen anywhere more dramatically than with Nicolas Cage, right? <laughs> yeah. Playing just an emotionally wrought uh, alcoholic in yeah. leaving Las Vegas to uh, a detective dressed up in a bear costume running around a cult <laughs> island hitting yeah. women. And then watch ma- watch Matchstick Man and tell me he's not great. Let's, watch let's, Adaptation tell me he's not I gotta, great. I gotta cut off the cage. Com- we gotta close the, cage. the cage. The end of the cage. We're closing cut, the, close cage. the cage. We'll, we will revisit this, I promise you. I promise <laughs> you. But let's move on to, Connor, what have you watched this week? What are you planning on watching this week? So, uh, in lieu of the new It reboot i guess uh that's going to be coming out in 2017 Mm -hmm. i watched stephen king's it from 1990 which is weird because it's sort of billed as a television release it was was a television series two episodes right just both movie length that's how it used to be right it was it was one day yeah like on monday they would show it and then on tuesday they'd show it yeah so the first so i'm pretty sure the way that it was originally presented in tv because the book is the original story is ostensibly two halves and we're talking about a, what is it 1100 pages this a this a whopping a whopping 1100 whopping pages Stephen about King. a <laughs> about a killer clown but it's great um so the I've first read the book no neither i mean neither have i i've read excerpts of the book and it's you know it's classic stephen king but um so they took this 1100 page book and it's essentially split into two halves you got the first half that takes place in the 50s when uh, all the kids known as the losers club for the uninitiated um they're, that's when they're kids in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And then the second, they would have broadcast the second half when they're all adults as a separate episode. And then when home release, you're seeing it all as just one. Like, how long was that presentation you watched? So I watched, I guess, I didn't watch all of it. I watched the first part of it. and <laughs> So what, and you didn't see I'm anything sure. about them being adults? No, I, I mean, that's peppered throughout the movie or okay, throughout the yeah. first part. Three you see these guys, you know, you see this guy climb up, climb up a tower and he's overlooking traffic and he yeah. flashes back to when he was a chunky kid getting seduced yeah. by tim curry's it yeah clown from hell or whatever you want to call it <laughs> that movie gave me so many nightmares i never watched all the way through but i have images of like walking in watching my brother is such a big horror stephen king yeah. oh my god uh and you know i remember the nose going down the the Yeesh. drain and it just gave me nightmares yeah yeesh i just it, so it it raises a lot of questions i didn't when I 
when I streamed it last night, I didn't know that it was presented in that format. I thought I was just watching a movie. So thank you guys for filling me in on, on that process. Yeah. yeah, it's like epic. It's, it's yeah. They did it's, the stand as well on TV. Good I God. Yeah, that was. I don't think it did very well. I, well, I can't imagine because that book. In its original form, it was maybe like, he cut out yeah, four hundred pages, obscene. and then he did the uncut version, which was like I don't know twelve hundred, thirteen hundred pages. Live and die by the stand, the same way you guys do Dune. That's fair. Real. Like the stand is it for a lot of people, and I've yeah. been told to be to read it, but I don't. I don't you don't have that investment that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, when, have you seen you've seen the trailer for the new one? I have. From, and I'm, from I what you've it. seen from the original interpretation of it to this one do you think it's going to be smooth because they have changed the time period yeah it does take place in the 80s this new version coming in 2017 as opposed to the 50s so um i've, I've got to say when i was watching the movie i was taken aback by how uh frankly i i thought it was hilarious in that it was a pretty bad movie <laughs> the child acting it's it's not stranger things let's just say that yeah you know it's the the child acting was not great. The character development, the timelines just felt like they were all over the place. And I really thought that the only real, the only earnestly redeeming quality, and, and by that I mean the only time I was like, wow, this is actually a pretty compelling scene, was when Tim Curry was in it. Yeah. Well, th- did they have any bits? Because um, John Ritter is in it. John Ritter from really? yeah from Three's Company, right? And so was yeah. Seth Green. Seth Green. Seth, Seth Green, Green is huh? in it. Yeah. Good God! It's he's been he's been working unbelievable. Yeah, was there anything where Tim Curry's just like, listen, Scott? <laughs> I just thought I just thought that he was really you know I thought that he approached his role with with about as much as a plum as you could. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was Tim Curry's a professional. Yeah, he's, he's I, the same. Exactly. I feel the same way. Like I mean, no one can. He's my Long John Silver. I don't care about any other Long John Silver, but the Muppet version of Long John oh, Silver for sure. is like, I thought like mine. I thought you were speaking literally like you went on a ship with him looking Listen, for oh treasure and then he betrayed you. <laughs> to go on a ship with Tim Curry? If I could be Jim Hawkins in the Muppet Treasure Island, yeah, I'd be okay with That's that. That's a great movie. I That's, thought you meant he was your go-to fast food, uh, seafood fast food <laughs> restaurant. I do love Tim Curry's. <laughs> Give me a Tim Masaman. Curry. <laughs> <God>. Mild. <laughs> oh, no. Um, is there anything you're looking forward to, Connor, uh, coming up in the next couple weeks? Uh, well, I'm looking forward to the new It. Well, well yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Tom, glad you asked. I, uh, looking forward to it. Uh, the most important, or not the most important, but the thing that I'm most looking forward to uh, isn't even in production yet, I don't think, but it's going to be Dennis Villeneuve's uh, Dune. Dune, yeah. And uh, for the listeners at home, we do have <laughs> we have a copy of Dune sitting out that we source all of strength, a source of strength for today. And I'm ashamed to say that I still here haven't just finished. Loves it. Arrival. Oh yeah, he probably was real into Sicario. Well, I was a I was a foreign language major, oh. so seeing Arrival was very much uh, justifying your. It was existence. like a very emo. I was <laughs> I was so emotionally affected by that movie. It's really surprisingly good. Yeah. I really thought it was going to be bad. I just I don't think, know yeah. why. I just probably think the, can, you know, like the pitch of the movie. It's just how do we talk to each other? Very Darmok. Think that that's. I think it's just such a crazy question to yeah. ask in a science fiction format is beautiful yeah you watch star trek uh next generation no i haven't watch darmok new movies is that darmok it's one of the classic episodes oh, okay. uh it's picard and this alien don't 
speak the same language, don't even understand anything, and they get stuck on a planet together and have to make it work. Mm-hmm. And it is a classic, like in the top five Star Trek. Wow. They always talk about it. And there's lots of, there's a reference to it in Skyrim. Even there's a wow. character yeah. named Temba White Arms, which is a line from the episode, <laughs> and uh, all that kind. Shout of out stuff. to Sally in Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, if you like that kind of business, I do. Uh, definitely watch Darmok because it's Patrick Stewart at his best. Okay, I and, will. Um, you know, just you know, generally get into the next generation, folks. Because Star Trek is an amazing thing. Folks of the next generation. Everybody. Love it. All right. Um, I guess I'll cap it off here with what I've seen recently. Cap it, baby. Cap it. Um, I think the most exciting thing I saw in the last week was Raw. Oh, you saw it? I did see Raw. It was, I went over to the music box, saw it at the music box, and I was really kind of, I went to go see it because of the concept. Um, If you haven't heard about this movie, it is about a French veterinary student who's a vegetarian, and she goes to this new vet school, and as part of the hazing process, they make her eat like this raw rabbit kidney, and you know one thing leads to another and she develops a, a like a, a desire for flesh like she wants to start eating meat. she's eating it's like a raw. french film it is a french film oh. it's all in french and it's very beautifully done it is very beautifully done like um it, it like there were these reports of people seeing this movie and they were, ha- were like puking i was gonna they, ask you were you puking in no the aisles? it was so <laughs> overblown i think people got a little too overzealous May, i bet like some of those writers that said that went to one screening and yeah. one person like gagged a little bit yeah um i think for most people it's very palatable um the gore does not is not gratuitous at all it feels so earned Every time there's like a gory shot, it feels really earned. Like you're expe- like it's not like oh I expect this, but um, it's not like a movie where they're just chopping off heads and she's just eating people all over the place. It's very uh, intentional what she does, That's and cool. and the themes of it about like young womanhood and like puberty and sexual awakening. You know, taking the um, the figurative desire for flesh. And rep- and having in in its turn, and also combined with it, the literal desire for flesh, uh, it kind of gets intertwined. Think um, it's very Cronenberg uh, body horror, but with a uh, a feminine twist and a French twist. Was it a male or female filmmaker? <laughs> I was a female filmmaker. Cool. I don't have her name on me, but um, just just look it up. Look up raw. Tom, um, did you see the XX? I did not with the one that was different female uh, yeah. filmmakers. I know uh, the artist St. Vincent, better you know, real name Annie Clark, did a segment. I never had the chance to see it. Huh. Well, just the the you describing Raw, it just sounds like the very first vignette in that movie. Is it similar yeah, in tone? Exactly, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Have you guys ever heard of a movie called The Woman? The Woman. I believe the director is Lucky McKee. No, I have not, no. I think it might still be on Netflix. If you, That's another Find movie it. where people were talking about you know fainting in the theater there's a big there are articles about it because dude threw a fit afterwards saying it was so misogynistic and it's not um it's a fascinating movie uh one of the actors from deadwood is the main character and it's about um a family that finds a feral woman like running with the wolves Uh and dude locks her up in a shed and civilizes her and it's not for the you know weak of stomach or whatever there's a lot of heavy stuff that goes on but it is one of the most memorable movies i saw that year and um sounds kind of similar like it's a very 
visceral but not um, exploitive. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel it feels sick but in the right ways. I guess if if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Yeah. So more like it feels earned. Kind yeah. of like what Tom was saying. Yeah. I yeah. like. Yeah. I like. Even I f- though it, there's a lot of parts where you kind of just you're just like Ooh. I wouldn't be surprised if you fast forward or close your eyes or whatever because there's a lot of stuff. But it's so yeah. Um, it really speaks a lot of what's going on between men and women, and, and even though it's difficult, sometimes you got to have those kind of difficult conversations and see why do you feel this way about this movie, and why do you feel sick, or why do you not think it's sick? Which, it's going, it's yeah. going on the queue now. That's going to go on the list. Hopefully, it's still on Netflix. I'm sure I'll be able to find it somewhere. Uh, hopefully. Uh, yeah, hopefully, the woman, the woman, the woman. Yeah. All right, uh, I think that's going to about do it here. The uh, the final after credit scene has rolled here, Sweet and the spot. lights have come on. It's no longer far too dark. <laughs> you can see people are standing up. People are These standing guys up, are sweeping, waiting for you to just yeah. leave already. <laughs> the they're looking, thought- <laughs> they're looking at you because you know you left your popcorn sitting on the seat, kind of rolled up at Look the top. Around. Look for your phone. Yeah. Dude, I, it's okay. Your Hide your beer bottle. Yeah. The old man that fell asleep <laughs> is stirring from slumber. <laughs> sir. Yeah. Sir. Huh? Excuse me. Sir. <laughs> Show's over. Show's Point. over. Time to go. Time to go. All right. <laughs> that's going to do it for our very first inaugural episode. Yay. Our very first inaugural. I feel like that's redundant, but our, just, our very first episode here. Our very first inaugural debut. Very first debut pilot. <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, this, has been, this has been No Coast Cinema. Uh, I'd like to thank our guest, writer, director, co-founder of uh, Capra Movie House, Jake Wiseman, thank you so much, Thanks, man. Tom. Really Thanks, appreciate Tom. it. Thank appreciate you, Jake. Look him up on social media, Capper Movie House over on Facebook, um, and go ahead and rewind for the rest. Of, I mean, he's all over the place. He's all over. I am definitely all over the place <laughs> in one way or another. But that's I go like him on Facebook seriously and check out that screening that's coming up on Monday, April tenth. It's going to be fantastic. Township. It's going to be township. It's a great place. Um, he also plugged a little odd, odd obsession movies. You want to find some obscure stuff. You want to find the you know the nitty gritty of film. Support get on Chicago over there. Cinema definitely support support Chicago cinema. Shinema. Support Shin- that. Shinema. Support that Chicago cinema. Support the cinema. Um, <laughs> thanks to my co-host Connor. Thank you, Tom. Um, as far as I know, he'll be back again. <laughs> he's not a <laughs> guest. He's in the. He's in it for the long haul. Just try to get rid of me. I will I will try. I'll do my best. <laughs> and I have been your other co-host, Tom Hush. Thank you again, everybody here in this room. This has been No Coast Cinema. We will see you next time. Good night. <laughs>